we're all doing this because we love it. We're all doing this because we want to have a large impact, um, both on uh, this industry and asset class and on the people that we get to work with and they get to work with us. And so, yeah, we don't lack for ambition. And, you know, we, we came from places where we ran large scale things effectively and chose to bet on ourselves and each other. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. We talk a lot about how the pandemic has drastically changed a variety of industries, but it might have made the biggest changes in the real estate market. For all the changes, there are clearly much more innovation and changes to come. In terms of innovation, Placemaker, a tech-enabled hospitality platform and real estate investor, might be one of the most innovative I've seen. In this episode, I'm sitting down with the company's CEO and co-founder, Jason Fuden, to get his take on the transformation and what we can expect for the future of the industry. Jason, thanks for joining me. Paul, thanks for having me. So tell, uh, tell me a little bit about Placemaker. I guess I'll start with our history. We're, we're about five years old, uh, about 250 people. We started as two individuals, me and my co-founder, who came from institutional real estate and decided that you know, the real estate world, the consumer world, uh, was ready for a change and, and we were going to go build it. Um, so today, we blur the line between hospitality and home. Uh, and we do that in a, in a permanent way by running buildings as a blend of them. And we do it in a temporary way by running hotels out of the vacancy of newly built apartment buildings while they lease up. So when you, when you think about it, was the, the genesis to be a tech company or to be a REIT or to become a property manager or a VRBO competitor? How did it, how did it kind of get to that mix? Yeah. So I think it, maybe I back up and talk about our North Star. So you know, a generation ago, real estate was built as a single use, highly inflexible. You built a house, you built a hotel, you built an office building. I mean, shit, there wasn't even like ground floor retail. It was an absolute single use. And then in the 90s, you had this idea of mixed use where you would stack uses on top of one another. And that was considered novel. And where we see the world going is the next level of that. You have different uses exist within a single building and you can flexibly move between those uses uh, to the benefit of customers and to the benefit of real estate owners. That, we're building the platform to allow that. That means that, hey, yeah, we buy some real estate. We bought like a quarter billion dollars last year. That means, hey, yeah, we have a pretty sizable tech component in order to facilitate that execution. It means, yeah, absolutely, we're building a consumer brand because that's where the demand comes from. Uh, and we're building a property operating team. So we're building all of these components, but all toward that North Star. Eventually, we would expect the majority of urban buildings to be built as this kind of commingled, flexible use of apartment and hospitality. And so how does the experience side of that from the consumer perspective play forward. I could see it as a property owner when I and I think about the yield of or the net operating income of my particular building and want to keep it full as much as I could and maximize the, you know, the whatever monthly I could be for any particular space. But as a consumer, how does that benefit me? Yeah. So I guess first to your point on the real estate, yes, as a real estate owner, you can increase the amount of cash you're making by double or triple. So that makes a lot of sense to you. For consumers, we actually have four different consumers. We have your traditional, you know, lessor or lessee who's just renting an apartment building or renting an apartment for 12 months. And we have within the furnished apartments, we have three groups, long-term, middle-term, and short. And they all have very different needs and we, we meet them differently. So if you live in our building 12 months unfurnished, you're there because you get hospitality services. You can opt into cleaning and linen. It's, it's like a lifestyle play. You know, you're a lawyer, you make a decent amount of money and you're just like, hey, It'd be great to have all of these services in the place where I live. When you enter the furnished side of the business as a consumer, 
you know, the turnkey furnished stuff where you just show up day one and you can just sit on your sofa and stream Netflix or Hulu and you have all this stuff to cook and clean. Um, that's out of convenience. Um, but when you get to the shorter stays, it's a little different. So if you're there for, let's say you're a doctor on a six-week residency, you know, it's too long to be in a hotel, but too short to be running an apartment. And so for, as that consumer, you book it, it's tech enabled, everything's there the day you arrive, and all of your experiences are both in-person and digital. So you can commu communicate with us through, through uh, your phone, you can call us, or if you want, you can get together with someone in person. And we blend that physical and digital world really well, for the, especially for those middle-term guests. Um, and for the short-stay folks, let's say you're there for a night or a week, um, it's very tech-enabled, right? 80% of arrivals are contactless. Um, the entire experience is generally through your phone, but for an emergency. And you're arriving at a you know, gorgeous, well-fit-out apartment in lieu of a hotel room that's three or four times the size um, and is likely a much higher level of finish. And so for consumers, you get great space, you get a great experience, um, but different, different experiences depending on the length of stay. And so where did, what was the, what was the primary driver when you, when you were thinking about that flexible space approach? Was it the traditional corporate apartment where the six weeks stay and, and, you know, it's terrible rented furniture, or were you really thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the lawyer who says, you know, given my druthers, I live in a hotel cause I want somebody to do all the work. I mean, the honest answer is, is none of the above. The honest answer is we look at real estate as a financial instrument. And so like any other financial instrument, like an equity investment in stocks or bonds, right? there's a way to make it more valuable. And in the case of real estate, that value creation in a large way can happen by um, mixing hospitality, multifamily, cash flows, risk profiles, debt profiles. And so that, that was the impetus to the company is, oh, you can financially engineer better real estate for investors. And then on top of that better investment return, you get to build some pretty beloved consumer products. And so we said, okay, well, given that you're going to be blending hospitality and multifamily, who ought our customers be? How should we optimize the product for people that want to live and stay with us? And that's where you know, we built out an entire growth brand product team that has spent the last five years focused on our customers and delivering the best product for them. It creates the value in the real estate, but also gives them a product that they can be happy to stay in or live in uh, across the country. Is the goal to stay vertically integrated like you're talking about, or is the goal to build it out as the proof of concept in a handful of areas like Nashville and then be able to take it to you know, more, of your, more of your background, take it and really accelerate it with, with massive investment? So we want to do it all. Um, okay. and, and maybe that's uh, a little ambitious of us, but uh, yeah, our expectation is we can win on the real estate invest side. We can win on the software side, whereas others start running this you know, product they can use our software in a SaaS-based way. We can win on the customer side by building a great D2C company. And we can win on the operating side by building a really effective operating business. We think we can do all of those things. Um, you know, it's a really, it's a really green field. There's not a lot of people playing in the space. There's some adjacent businesses, but multifamily is a multi-trillion dollar asset class. Hospitality is a multi-trillion dollar asset class. And our expectation is five to 10 years from now, the majority of what gets built is a version of this blended asset. And so that just creates a tremendous amount of opportunity across all four of those business cases. And it seems the people, you, you mentioned the adjacency, it seems the people that would be even tangentially competing with you take an asset light approach, not the asset heavy approach. Is that kind of a conscious bet that you're making that, that people are going to want? Uh, your investors are going to say, I don't want to hand this off and then have to manage different types of you know, profiles? Or, or, or was it really, this is just the way forward for you guys and, and whatever they do is what they're going to do? So for our investors, we actually have two pools of investors. 
We have our Propco investors and we have our Opco investors. Our Opco investors are the venture growth folks that you'd expect. And so that part of our business is incredibly asset light. Um, it's even lease light. We don't sign those you know, master leases like, like Sonder or other companies that have kind of made their way through and some of the ones that, that you know, didn't end up making it through COVID. Um, so we are incredibly asset light and lease light on the Opco side. Everything is a rev share or profit share or whatever else. Our second pool of capital is on the Propco side, and that's who you'd expect. It's private equity, hedge funds, family offices that invest in real estate, and we're just able to deliver them outsized returns. And so we actually, we then bring those two things together in the company, and they're, like I said, different pools of capital, different return profiles. So the Opco is incredibly asset light, and the Propco is what you'd expect, you know, high risk-adjusted returns. So how do you, when you're talking to the Propco guys, you know, my experience with on the real estate side is, is that most people have a particular discipline. I'm an office guy, I'm a multifamily guy, I'm a warehouse guy, I'm a retail guy. You're, you're sort of blending a different perspective for a lot of these folks. Are you finding that they're saying, I'm a, I'm a big family office and I love this kind of investment, but this doesn't make any sense to me because it crosses different asset classes or, or are people saying, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for? Both. I mean, there's, like you said, you know, real estate's a pretty like, calcified industry. It's very siloed. It's crazy to me. Like we'll be talking to the hotel guys or gals and they'll be like, oh, there's this, you know, this big conference in New York, the NYU conference. Is there something like that in multi? And you'll be talking to the multi guys and gals and they'll be like, oh, you know, is there like the equivalent of an NMHC for hotel? Like they don't even know each other. It's, it's actually crazy. The, the most crossover ends up being not on the, you know, the GP side or on the operator side, but on the LP side. You know, a lot of these private equity hedge fund folks they'll invest in anything that makes money, right? They, you know, they did, you know, self-storage. They'll do, um, you know, as logistics became a thing, as private student housing. So they're just chasing return. Um, what's most interesting today is there's a new kind of cast of characters on the investment side that are yield-based investors. You know, it's like the, black, like the B REITs and Starwood REITs and Brookfields that are very focused on the, ca- you know, treating real estate more like a bond and finding that, that yield, that perpetual yield. And we do that in spades, right? So you know, we can buy something and get it to a 20% plus cash on cash. And you can't find that kind of yield in existing real estate. And there's plenty of investors that would be delighted to chase that. Uh, and everything we buy is multifamily downside protected. So you get that upside of blending and the downside of straight up multi. Uh, and there are a lot of investors that are chasing that space. And we work with a number of them and are in conversations with you know, dozens more. And so we talked about the, the, the experience. Are you finding? Um... That there's also a governmental experience. Are you, are you seeing or feeling any of the the, re, the regulatory side of things? You know, I see. In, you know, where I live, there's a lot of pushback in in parts of the city around the short term rental as opposed to the stability, and and you can even move into the you know, the equality of more traditional multifamily availability. Have you seen any of that yet? A ton of it. So real estate's a highly regulated uh, industry. And what's unique about it is it's regulated at the local jurisdiction level and the state level. So all the building code related stuff is generally at the state level, although there are exceptions, um, like in Chicago. And then all of the zoning and land use stuff is generally um, regulated at the uh, locality. And so, yeah, we see all of that. We know, you know the intricacies of every market. Um, the short-term rental regs that you've seen come up and come down, we generally don't use. Uh, we generally stick with the stuff that's been around a long time, the hotel regs and the multi-regs. And so what we do is we look to operate within that traditional structure. So if, let's say, you know, pick a city, any city, let's pick a city in Texas, you're in Texas. You know, we'll go into that city and we'll say, okay, well, you know, this site allows for hotel use. Okay, let's go permit this thing as a hotel. 
but it also allows for multifamily use. When we go to the jurisdiction, can we permit it for both? We'll meet the strictest standards of both. And nine times out of 10, they say, yeah, sure. If you want to meet all the standards on multifamily and all the standards on hotel, knock yourself out. And that's generally what we do is we get these dual use COs that allow us to run the thing truly flexibly. How are you thinking about, so you, you mentioned like understanding the, the jurisdictional challenges. How do you look at segmentation, market segmentation geographically? You know, is it, is it pure yield? Because you, you start as a real estate investor first and that's what, you know, finds your way to a fully integrated approach in Nashville. Or is it, hey, we're just going to go get really smart on four or five markets and we're just going to go eat them up? It's, it, it's both those things. So in terms of priority of markets, we're generally focused on yield where there's the biggest pop. And those are the top of the list, but our expectation is, you know, the 35 largest U.S. metro areas will be in all of them in a deep way uh, over the next four to five years. So the early prioritization is around the markets where we can make the absolute largest jumps immediately. And then, you know, everything down from there. And then over time, our expectations were running all these markets. It's a, it's a really interesting model. Talk a little bit about the, the you mentioned tech enabled a couple of times. Talk a little bit about what tech enabled means on the consumer side of things. I mean, clearly it's more than just being able to stream my Netflix or Hulu with better internet that I have here in Dallas. But um, what, what is the, so what's the product vision that you have from the customer experience side? Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope it's, it's more than streaming some TV. Um, uh, so we, uh, maybe I'll walk you through a customer journey, uh, what it is today and what we'll be adding to it along the way. So Paul, let's say you were gonna stay with us in Nashville. And let's say you were gonna stay with us for a week. You had four days of business, three days of leisure. You know, your, your trip is getting longer, which we're seeing more and more of. Uh, I think Airbnb's earnings, their Q1 earnings was the first time more than 50% of the room nights were seven day plus. So we're just seeing more and more of these longer stays, which obviously apartment style inventory meets really well. So Paul, you're booking a seven day stay with us. You know, first things first, the, the booking experience is pretty seamless. Um, we ask for your cell phone number, we're both texting and emailing you and ask what your preference is. Most people are happy just to get a couple texts and not have to deal with pulling something out of their inbox. We're happy to do that. You don't have to, you can or not. Behind that is a data warehouse that stores every single interaction with you. Kind of how long you took to reply to your text message, whether you read your email, you know, when you arrived. And so you show up at the property in advance of it. You, you can check in in your cab. You can check in at your house. You probably check in on the plane. Uh, you take a photo of your ID. You, take, um, um, you fill in your, your information. And now we've turned your phone into a Bluetooth key and likely given you, depending on the property, you know, five, six digit code that you can use to get through the front door and into your unit. So we've, we've completely removed the need to go stand in line at some front desk for someone to hand you a piece of plastic. Um, although if you'd like to meet somebody, we're on site 24 seven, we're happy to meet you with your piece of plastic. You get into the unit and uh, probably right as you arrive, you get a text to your phone. Hey, Paul, here's the Wi-Fi password in case you're wondering. But if, you know, you wanted something else, you text us, immediately someone's going to text you back and tell you, you're like, oh, where can I get Chinese food in the neighborhood? They'd give you a suggestion. If you have a real, real problem, you know, we have someone on site that's there for customer intervention, but everything should really be happening through your phone. Uh, where we're not today, but we will be eventually is, uh, we'll be able to serve up a very specific experience to you. So let's say, you know, you're from Texas, maybe you love barbecue, and we learned to know, we learned to know that you love barbecue. We'll say to you when you land at the airport, we'll geofence see that you landed. Uh, we'll say, oh, hey, Paul, you want some barbecue when you get here? Here's some recs, recommendations. And if you'd like, we can order it for you, you know, through DoorDash or whatever and have it on property. We're not at that stage yet, but that's how the custom experience will continue to, to grow. And it's built on the top of this database of you, you and everybody else. Then during your stay, it should go pretty seamless. There is Netflix, Hulu, whatever you want to stream 
all through your Apple TV. You can log into your own accounts. When you check out, those accounts are automatically wiped from that Apple TV. So um, you don't have to worry about like, you know, uh, logging out of your Amazon account so someone doesn't buy something. And then, yeah, along the way, there's high-speed internet. There's everything you would expect. Uh, and then afterward, you get a, an email or a text. And uh, in the future, we're really easy to get a hold of. And you can book and stay again. You can leave a review. Um, the entire experience really runs through your phone. What's your, um, what does the, the retention look like, the, re, the, the repeat customer focus look like in your first couple of years? Yeah, so a, a lot of um, customer retention has to do with where you're located and your kinds of customers. Um, because we don't have that many cities today, we're probably in like you know, four or five cities, we've done maybe eight or nine total. Um, there's not necessarily a lot of demand for repeat customers other than folks that come to the same city. The thing that we generally look at is on our business side where someone has a need where we, you know, someone for corporate or business reasons books through us, do they book again? And over 50% of all of our business travelers book with us multiple times, which is really high, really, really high. And, and in fact, uh, between 60 and 65% of all of our bookings are direct, which means the brand really resonates with folks. Um, and they tell their friends and they tell everybody else because uh, that is a tremendous amount of throughput um, directly through our team and our, and our brand.com. Yeah. Are you finding that the, um, that the experience at this point, it just completely outweighs the rewards, you know, that given the travel, uh, as an example, it is just so, so, uh, biased by a reward profile. Are you, are, are you seeing that that's just a completely different customer base or it's just something people are willing to give a shot and, and, uh, leave their Bonvoy points behind? Yeah. So we like to call it kickbacks, um, as opposed to rewards. And we start, <laughs> when we started the company, I had a conversation with council and was like, can I just leave a $20 bill you know, in an envelope, fresh $20 bill on everyone's pillow and just charge them 20 bucks more? Because like, that's how indifferent I am. Uh, and they're like, well, no, that's technically a bribe, especially if they're a government employee. And we said, oh, oh okay, uh, that makes sense. So we're like, but we could give them points that are the equivalent of $20. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, of course you can do that. Sounds uh, great. Yeah, it's great. Nobody great. Wants those. Yeah, that doesn't seem illegal <laughs> at all. Um, and so, yes, at some point in time, we will have our own version of a kickback program or rewards program. Um, but as of today, you know, at the scale we are, we just haven't spent the dollars to roll it out. We do find, yeah, there's certain people that like, I'm not going to use the inappropriate terms for them, um, but there's people that like only stay with Marriott, they only stay with Hilton. And basically their company is, is footing the bill for them to take personal family vacations or get free flights or whatever. Um, what we find is a lot of those folks, when they do stay with us, it's because they want a different product. They're traveling with their kids and they want a three bedroom apartment in Nashville. They don't, you know, they don't want a room with two queen beds in it. Um, and so a lot of times the product is what breaks people out of that cycle. And once you've stayed with us once, it's kind of hard to go back to like a tiny little box of a hotel unless you're just staying for a night because you got a full kitchen, you got a washer dryer, you can like comfortably do everything. Um, and then, you know, the, the other is you're in a hotel room, you're sitting on the edge of your bed, you're like, you know, squeezing around trying to iron something you know, sitting at a desk that's probably 40 years old um, with the internet that you paid $15 for that is absolute crap. Yeah, it's the chairs that get you. That's really where it gets you is the chairs, <laughs> yeah, you not, gotta have not the desk stuff. or the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So what, um, so, you know, it, it sounds like you've put, you, you, you've got, you've got some, some roots established in a handful of different places and you got a, you got a nice influx of capital earlier this year and you bought a bunch of real estate. What does the next five years look like for you? you know, what is, what sort of biases investing in that? customer experience and, the, and developing out the journey that you look at versus expansion into other markets, or even you could, you could imagine, you know, business development relationships with people so that when you don't have something in 
you know, Dallas, that there's somebody else who, who might be able to offer me that same sort of, you know, profile that I've developed with you over time. Where does it, where do you do, what do you do for the next couple of years? So, so you say five years, like it's short, five years for us is like a hundred years. Um, you know, the company's five years old. So five years ago it was me my partner, two laptops and a WeWork. Um, so I guess maybe I'll first speak to where we, we think the world is and then where we fit into it. So my expect, expectation is five years from now, almost no one builds single-use multifamily buildings in core urban markets, and almost no one builds um, single-use hotels, but for very specific purposes. But for like a convention center hotel or some kind of like small St. Regis, it's like super high touch. Just economically speaking, it doesn't make sense to build straight-up apartment buildings or hotels in these markets when you can build a blended use. So I would think within five years, you know, call it 50 plus percent of all the units built in these cities are built in this flexible way which means people need those four tools we have, the property operating piece, the brand piece, the tech stack and pricing tool, uh, and the investment vehicles. Uh, I do think that we win a large percentage of that, but I think you're going to see a dozen or more of others, either existing players moving into the space or new players, that are doing the same thing because it's a really, really large market. So in five years, if we don't have something in Dallas, I will be shocked. But if we didn't, or even if we did, I think you're probably going to have three or four other options that are similar to our offering in Dallas. Um, and you'll choose to go with us because we offer better consumer experience, you know, balancing both, you know, price and that price and that interim experience or that longer term stay. Um, but I do think the entire asset class becomes institutionalized. So we will not be the only player or the only winner. Yeah, good ideas typically don't stay standalone for a long time. No, right? unless they're patentable, uh, and you, you can't patent running real. I mean, yeah, people exactly. have tried, but that's that's asinine. So um, yeah, so I think that's where the world ends up. Where we as a company in five years. Mm-hmm likely publicly traded or part of some very large platform where there was some kind of, you know, combining and mergers. Um, and you probably see, we're not just focused on blending hospitality and multi at that point in time, but we're probably blending everything because that's where the world's going to end up. Yeah. Well, and in, in real estate, generally the winner tends to be the person with the deeper pockets, right? I mean, especially when you're talking about the, the returns that you guys are looking at, is that the most logical exit for you at some point in time as Blackstone says, oh, I see what I could do here. Or do you, do you really think it's going to be someone who, who looks at this as a way to, to compete with all the adjacent markets, every, every hotel, every Lincoln property, all the people that, that have those other types of footprints? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Blackstone's big relative to others. Blackstone's small relative to the world. Um, so you know, my expectation is the broader world is going to move to commingled flexible real estate. It is a huge, huge play. Um, so likely we're publicly traded because I don't think that there's going to be someone in 10 years that could own us um, that's, right, that's writing a check that big um, that would allow us to continue to build the platform. But I, I, could, be, I could be proved wrong. You know, maybe Blackstone writes a silly big check and you know, they're good guys and gals and we decide to sign up with them. But my guess is it's more the publicly traded route. Well, you certainly don't lack for ambition. I think it's awesome. I think it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a fantastic... Uh, use and um, if you can stay stay on your path, I think you guys have a big future. I appreciate that. I think one of the things that, that we love about the, the company is the team here, and all of us left jobs where you know I was at a large publicly traded company. I ran a couple billion dollars of development, um, and there's a similar story to every single person on our leadership team. We're all doing this because we love it. We're all doing this because we want to have a large impact, um, both on. Uh, this industry and asset class and on the people that we get to work with and they get to work with us. And so, yeah, we don't lack for ambition. And, you know, we, we came from places where we ran large scale things effectively and chose to bet on ourselves and each other. That's great. Well, you were, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I, I 
end with the same question for everybody, which is when the day is over and you've completely revolutionized uh, multifamily and hotel and hospitality all at once, um, what do you like to listen to? So I listen to, so I, I listen to a lot of books. I'm a big audible person. Um, but I, music, I'm kind of, um, is trashy the right word? Whatever the equivalent of like having not good taste, that's me in music. So I put on like Spotify release radar. I listen to the, like the female power ballads. I listen to like old school rock. I listen to rap, hip hop. Um, I sh- shit, I'll even listen to the Disney songs. I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent. Uh, I just love to, you know, I love to hear music. I actually have music on probably six to eight hours a day while I'm working when I'm not on calls. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of any one genre. I love country too. I love all of it. In fact, and I love live shows. My wife and I go to a bunch of shows and every time we go, I'm like, why don't I do this more often? Yeah, I'm right there with you. So, well, hopefully for you, it's not a small world after all. <laughs> and um, I wish you guys all the best. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. My conversation with Jason was full of great insights about the future of real estate. Here are some of my key takeaways. First, never lose sight of your North Star. At Placemaker, everything the team does ultimately ladders back to their goal of ushering in the new era of urban real estate. To accomplish this, the company consistently keeps a goal of creating urban buildings that can accommodate several flexible uses top of mind. Second, it seems strange to even have to say it, but you have to maximize value. By approaching real estate as a financial instrument, Placemaker was in a better position to squeeze as much value out of their investments as possible. They refused to be constrained by traditional thinking. Not only did the team financially engineer better real estate for investors, but they also had the opportunity to build some beloved consumer products, which in turn maximized value for all stakeholders. Third, take advantage of green fields. He and the team at Placemaker are capitalizing on this by upending hospitality, multifamily, and property management software to create an investable opportunity unlike any alternative. Fourth, prioritize a tech-enabled customer experience. The team at Placemaker has a specific and evolving vision for the tech-enabled customer experience. They think through every step of the customer journey and how it can be streamlined and improved by using technology. The company is working toward a perfectly seamless experience. And fifth, teamwork makes the dream work. We hear it time and time again on the podcast, but it's worth repeating. People are your best asset. At Placemaker, the team is united in its shared vision of making a large impact, both on this industry, the asset class, and the people they work with every day. Everyone on the team chose to bet on themselves and on each other by pursuing this passion. And so far, it looks like the bet is paying off. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.